Hello and welcome to another episode of The First Incision, a CMF podcast where we look at topics at the interface of faith and medicine affecting our Christian lives in today's world. I'm your host, John Greenall. Now, the issue of men and women in our society is a hot topic, to say the least. Are men and women different? And if so, what implications does this have for us as a society, but also in our day-to-day lives as Christians and as healthcare professionals? Today I talk with Rob, who's an RAF doctor and has recently completed his PhD research looking at the performance of men and women in arduous training. Welcome to the podcast, Rob. Thanks, John. Rob, why don't you just uh, start us off by telling us a bit about yourself and uh, and what you do? Yeah, thanks, Jose. I'm an RAF um, uh, endocrine trainee. I'm based in, in Scotland and uh, I, I'm ST5 level just now. Um, I've done a few years out, um, both with the military and uh, doing some research uh, pr- projects that uh, I think we're going to talk about. Um, I was a uh, really active member in, in CMF when I was a student in Glasgow. Uh, and uh, I love doing uh, CMF stuff. Uh, I went to uh, conferences and uh, I found them so helpful. And I think they were really important um, for my kind of journey into military and then into research. Fantastic. Yeah, that's great. And I, we're going to talk about that research in a minute. But, but first of all, I mean, I'm intrigued, you know, um, what took you into into the RAF? I mean, it's not that, that many people take that route. So tell us a bit about what what sort of took you there and what your experience has been of, of being a, a doctor in, in the RAF. Yeah. So when I was at, at secondary school, my best friend uh, wanted to join the Air Force cadets the air cadets and uh uh he, he thought it would be cool <laughs> and so I, I went along with him and, and i really enjoyed it i just enjoyed the kind of uh the um uh marching around and the being shouted at and the <laughs> uh, 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 uh also the kind of organized side of it which is something i've always been terrible at it helps it's helped me sort of be slightly less disorganized as as a person and then um uh they were offering these cadetship things like a scholarship through sit form at school in england and then uh they pay you through uni to study medicine which i wanted to do anyway uh, and uh, it sounded good to me and uh, that was uh, about 20 years ago and i've been committed ever since well fantastic and, and what is it like give us a flavor of what it's like to to train and and live as a as a, a medic in, in the military well it's been so much fun to be honest i i uh, there are some downsides, um, but they're mostly plus sides to, to training in the military. Um, you, uh, you get well looked after um, and uh, you do get to choose where, where to go but within reason. It's more difficult for GPs, but because I've chosen to do secondary care, um, I get um, a good bit of say over uh, staying near my family here in Scotland. And so um, uh, training wise, it's, it's um, fairly similar to, to being in the NHS. There are just extra duties like uh, military taskings and uh, going abroad usually um, that, that you need to, to, to take on. But that's why we're sort of supernumerary in the NHS. So um, it's just an extra element really to life. Um, it can be quite busy at times and tricky for the family, um, but it's always good fun. And uh, they're all kind of used to it now. Brilliant. Great, Rob. Well, you, you mentioned um, about uh, doing a PhD and I understand that you've, you've finished that. Congratulations. Oh, um, just Maybe just give me some headlines. Um, what's your PhD uh, been about, and any sort of headline findings from your from your from your studies? Yeah, so um, there was a bit of money uh, laid aside to look at re- to do research to look at um, women uh, in the military in the sort of most 
arduous training roles um, in the military. So uh, not just the army, but the Air Force and Navy too, um, uh, who train uh, women now to be uh, kind of soldiers on the front line. And uh, we uh, wanted to look at uh, whether uh, women show signs of uh, hormonal changes. So I'm an endocrine trainee, and I wanted to look at the endocrinology changes in women during um, basic military training. Um, and so to do this, we sort of set up these uh, studies that were mostly cohort studies looking at um, how a, a dynamic and, and basal hormone changes change um, over the sort of in, uh, basic uh, introduction to the military. Um, and that's what that's what we did. Brilliant. And, and any sort of big, big findings that you, you, you can easily summarise? Yeah. So I think the message overall was that um, uh, women... Uh, and men are equal in status, but different in function, that that difference represents complementarity, uh, that, that actually gives them both um, enormous uh, kind of uh, advantages to, to, to being um, in, in military roles. So um, uh, it's not to say that men or women make better service people. <laughs> they're, they're both equal in, in value and status, but, but their function is in fact complementary uh, to one another. Right. Oh, that's fantastic. I mean, I'll, I'll be really honest with you. I, I've heard um, you know, people at times being rather derogatory about women in the military, particularly in very arduous settings such as on the front line. But it, and it seems that what you're saying from your research, it sort of pushes back on that. I don't know if you've experienced any of those attitudes uh, yourself, um, either before or, or during your time at the RAF. Yeah, of course. Well, the military is a uniform organisation. And so um, I think going back a long way, uh, that that it's been felt that, that men that everyone needs to be the same, but also I think there have been challenges with the prevailing equality movement in the last few decades, which has sort of implied that equal means identical, and so uh, if we're going to be equal, men and women, um, then we're, we're going to be the same as one another, and I think that's led to incorrect assumptions, uh, and my research has been able, uh, in a small way, to question these. So. Um, for example, I had a, a conversation recently with a, a very influential military person uh, about um, uh, his, some of his women uh, in his service, he was in the RAF, about his women joining the, the first 15 rugby team, which is a men's team. Uh, there is also a, women, a women's team. Obviously, we have male and, and female teams. And he was saying, well, why, why, why don't we just have one team and it could be mixed? And he said, if they're able and, and fast and strong enough, I don't see why not. And, and, I, and I said, well, and that's... That's a bit crazy, sir, because, you know, they would be destroyed. There's a, there's a, these are, these are kind of semi-professional rugby players. They're huge, uh, the blokes. And, um, and just to assume that if women can run and, uh, fast enough and, and throw a ball well enough probably doesn't mean that they're, they're, they're on a continuum with men. And I suppose what I'm getting at is this, the difference between men and women is, is a dimorphism. It's, uh, 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 on, on many different variables, there are, uh, uh, differences that are, uh, bimodal, that com completely separate and statistically different. Um, and while there might be a, in some areas, people who cross, um, uh, a couple of standard deviations <laughs> so that they're uh, uh, similar in that variable to men when you look at everything you know biologically physiologically men and women are profoundly uh, dimorphic um but that's not a bad thing uh it, it's just um uh because it, it's just how we are <laughs> yeah no absolutely and i think a lot of the pushback can be um and totally understandably so that um, in the past you know that the, the men have 
have domineered and been overly dominant, perhaps perhaps you know, including uh, physically. Um, and there's this understandable reaction to try and say, well, look, actually, you know, the, the women have have a place, um, and that's why I, I'm so fascinated by by your research, having having looked at um, some of it already, um, at what you're saying. So I'd love it if you could just dig in a little bit and give us perhaps an example or two from of your studies that really reveal what you're saying. That there's, there's this dimorphism, um, and yet also you start to hint at complementarity as well between between male and female roles. So. Thanks. So firstly, we looked at the um, uh, uh, changes in, in, in a group of about 60 women going through military training and, and a, a smaller group of 10 men as well. Um, and we found that um, in the, the hypothalamic pituitary adrenal axis, the HPA axis, which controls the body's response to stress and threats and challenges, um, then uh, th- there was a, a profoundly different response. So uh, women have a much uh, more rapidly and uh, 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 activated HPA axis with higher cortisol levels and that activation is prolonged. And uh, this is um, uh, uh, shown uh, throughout the the lifespan, although interestingly at puberty, um, uh, the the two uh, HPA axes in in men and women, they they, they kind of switch over as to which is the more active. Um, And and, uh, in later life, um, uh, we see this pattern where there's a a greater activity among women. And uh, and we saw then differences in in related to that in in psychological uh, 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 stress and how women reported uh, stress during training a, a wee bit more than men. Uh, uh, we also saw differences in in the reproductive function uh, among men and women. So in women, there was a sort of suppression of, of reproductive hormone function, but we didn't see that at all in men. Um, I, uh, these things occurred sort of over a year or so of basic military training. And it suggests that there's some things that are happening that uh, affect women that don't affect men. Interesting. Yeah, that's really interesting. So what you're highlighting, that there's some there's some physiological differences in terms of their response to this arduous training right that's right yeah another piece of work we've done looks at um rates of uh heat illness so uh, this is really important for the military um uh, uh people um uh, go out and, and do sort of hard exercise perhaps for on operations in in hot places and, and being protected from injury from from heat so that things like heat stroke or exertional heat illness um is is really important and it's a it's a problem for our blokes on, on the front line just now. And we imagined it would be a big problem when women join them on the front line. So we did a piece of work to look at whether um, men or women have higher rates of, of heat illness just from all the kind of reported rates of heat illness from the extant literature. What we found was in a systematic review and, and a meta-analysis um, was the opposite of what we expected. We expected to see that, that women would have more heat illness because um their hormones, uh, estrogen in particular, uh, and progesterone predispose them to having a greater heat sink. They sort of store heat more and, and vasodilate less than men. So uh, they get hotter quicker. In fact, we saw uh, that women get two and a half times less heat illness across uh, six different countries, uh, data spanning about 30 years. Um, so two times less heat illness than men. Uh, and we think that's due to um, quite interesting behavioral differences between the sexes uh, women w- uh, some studies have shown in during a heat wave are, are more likely than men to stop working really hard <laughs> to, to stop uh, running around and to go inside close the curtains um, uh, perhaps switch on air conditioning 
And these uh, represent the sort of risk aware behaviors that women demonstrate. And uh, we've seen some other work from elsewhere that shows that uh, quite amazingly that uh, uh, women have um, much greater risk awareness than men. This is kind of obvious, I think, to, to a lot of people, certainly when I've talked about this work with them. But a meta-analysis uh, of 150 studies showed this consistently that, that women have greater risk awareness than men. Now, this is something that's really useful and important on the front line, um, that uh, 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 both risk awareness and, as I mentioned, the increased activity of the HPA axis, higher cortisol levels, this modulates the fight or flight response. And even if we are talking in terms of um, survival benefit, it might not be a good thing to stay in a different dangerous situation. And so there's a biological advantage for women, uh, perhaps to, 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 to get away from a dangerous situation quicker. Um, and we're told in the military that risk is the most important thing in judging how to how we operate and what we're supposed to do. And so I'd argue that that bringing women into the front line would would increase the balance of risk awareness um, for the work that, that the military does. Rob, that's just absolutely fascinating. Um, thanks for sharing that that work. Um, and that, that's really opened my eyes, certainly, to um, some things I, I just had no no idea about and, and, and actually makes a lot of sense um, now that you, you describe it. Um, I'm really interested. I hope you don't mind if I ask you this, but um, you've mentioned to me about some other research you've done in the Antarctic. Is that right? Um, yeah. I wonder if you'd be able to just share what your findings were there. Yeah, so there was a team of uh, six women who became the first team to cross Antarctica uh, unassisted. That means they pulled everything they needed um, across the continent for uh, two months, uh, and they did incredibly well, um, much better biologically than um, uh, I should say. We did loads of tests on them before and after. Right. We did, in fact, the test twice afterwards, so we see how they recovered. Um, in fact, the, the expedition that that didn't really affect them biologically much at all. They lost about 10 kilos in weight over two months and uh, uh, their hormonal function was largely unaffected and indeed bounced back to better than previous to the expedition within about two weeks. So um, they, they did staggeringly well and uh, reminded me really of the uh, importance of, of this uh, and, 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 and the amazing added value that women bring uh, in terms of uh, their approach to undertaking a task like that, their, um, uh, the way in which they uh, started and carried on the expedition was very different to the male expeditions that have all done gone before them or the, or the mixed ones have generally been led by men. Um, and the, uh, uh, um, the training was, was created and, and designed and then delivered by the women themselves. Uh, and, and it reminds me really of, of the um, importance, I guess, of, of thinking about equity as opposed to equality. Now, this, this sounds a bit funny. Um, sure. no, go on. Uh, but I'm going to, going to talk a little bit about, about equity. So I, I think um, in society, people have, have really forgotten about the staggering uh, array of, of differences between men and, and women. But also, um, I, I think, therefore, they've forgotten about the, the, the massive added value that women bring just by being women. Um, uh, and I, I, um, uh, I suppose this dimorphic picture, if we can recapture something of that, would allow us to move from this idea of equity, a sort of assume, assuming, a pra- sorry, of equality, assuming a sort of continuum between men and women. Yes. 
to to moving towards a, a dimorphism. And the idea of equity is that you can then divert resources towards people um, uh, who will bring added value uh, if, uh, uh, if if you can create a level playing field for them, if that makes sense. Um, so uh, for, for the women crossing Antarctica, for example, this was for them to have a, a, a female delivered uh, training and um, uh, nutrition and, 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 and then uh, expedition kind of package um, that was d- designed around them, not around um, some other sort of gender normative. I'm not using the term, I should say, I'm not using the term gender and sex interchangeably. Um, uh, gender is, is clearly is about a, a behavior within society sure. and sex is the biology. My work's really just been focusing on the sex. Yeah. So yeah. That, that idea of equity is really important. That's I think. really interesting. I mean, I sometimes think I'm, I'm somebody who needs quite a bit of sleep. And I sometimes think that if I was enabled to have the environmental conditions in which I could have eight hours sleep a night, then my performance would probably be greatly enhanced during the day. But stage of life and all that means um, it's not it's not possible, uh, particularly being up three times last night. So is, is that kind of what you mean? So, so my, you know, in terms of equity is that if we were to deliver something like allowing somebody to have you know, optimum sleep to perform. So sleep is really interesting. So we see that um, uh, uh, the um, reproductive system hormonally is, is, is very different between men and women. And in women, the clockwork of hormones that controls ovulation is, is a lot more complex than in men. And it's controlled by this, uh, uh, a nucleus in the hypothalamus called the arcuate nucleus that sits right next to the central pacemaker of the body um, the suprachiasmatic nucleus and and we saw in in some work we did that, that when um, sleep is disturbed in women it, they're very i think that's that was the thing that was that was disrupted that caused a very um significant sort of suppression in ovulation function and that's been shown elsewhere too so yeah sleep is a really good example of something that perhaps um women in in training could 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 use more of to perform better that's not been tested um but it's certainly something that i'd like to look at in the future absolutely fascinating and you mentioning the arcuate nucleus there that that takes me back a few years to my anatomy days and my endocrinology revision so thank you for that Um, and i'll think about that next time i'm lacking sleep um Look, you know, you, you mentioned earlier on sort of your headline finding really being that sense of being men and women equal in status and different in function. And, I, you know, look, as a Christian, I just can't help but sort of think that rings some bells uh, to me somewhere. And, and Rob, you know, you're, you're also a Christian. What, what do you what do you make in the light of these, fi- you know, of these findings in the light of your faith? Well, it's just made it so much more exciting and satisfying. I think at a, at a purely human level, we could argue the reason for the findings is is that there is complementarity between the sexes, and that there is we could, you could argue there are perhaps um, uh, evolutionary or you know biological survival benefits um, uh, for you know the, the the female of the species. But as Christians, we know that there's this difference, this equal value, and 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 biology has nothing to say about value really and and then the, the complementarity they, they just reflect the the creation aesthetic um of being beautifully made in god's image you know this is how it was before uh before the fall god made men and, and women in his own image and um in his own image he created them it, it's a it's a it's a beautiful a beautiful thing and he thought they are very good i think um we can um enjoy research so much more as christians <laughs> um this is something that that is is there you know before sin happened that's right 
Yeah, and as Kepler said, thinking God's thoughts after him. Yeah. Um, and I, I think that's amazing, Rob, because it's so true, isn't it? That you know, the first sign of something not being right was when God saw that Adam was alone, and He said, "It's not good for a man to be alone." And we have this wonderful sort of sense of the complementarity of God being fully imaged by male and female by this this otherness, this Im- what I, I sometimes call embodied otherness, reflecting something of God's character and who He is in the world. And I, yeah, I just think that's amazing. It may, really makes me think of that too. There's no being fruitful and multiplying and filling the earth and subduing it, uh, Genesis one twenty eight. Without that complementarity, is there? It's, it's totally necessary to have male and female uh, to 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 fulfil that. Absolutely, yeah. No, fascinating stuff. Thanks, Rob. Um, so, uh, you know, you're back in uh, everyday clinical practice now, and I'm I'm causing you to sort of recall back, you know, your your findings. So, thank you so much for doing that for us. But, you know, we're in everyday life. You know, I know you've got a, a busy home life as well. What are the implications of of, of you know, so your research and the findings and what we've been discussing just to everyday life on the wards in our everyday life as Christian healthcare professionals? Well, um, I so yeah, back in clinical work now it's very busy uh, as you say it's it's tough and um one reflection is is when we don't consider that equal value and the complementarity not just between the sexes but between everyone um we don't glorify god fully and we don't get to enjoy him fully and we miss out on the the fullness of of being human um, and what what it means to be truly people mm. and and I, I think at, at work um some of this um uh, kind of creation mandate and the the um complementarity idea allows us to champion strength in diversity um, on the wards and perhaps move from the idea of equality perhaps to equity where we value people for their differences right. um, by providing providing resources that they need um to do their job well um I, it might mean, might mean um, some get more support and more help than others, um, more time. I, I went through medical school uh, in the kind of early 2000s and, and then foundation jobs where, when there was a very strong idea that some doctors and students were just good and mm. some weren't. And I was definitely in the, the uh, latter category, right. yeah. whereas my, my wife was just brilliant and competent and, and I wanted to be like her, but I knew that, that would probably never happen. And in fact, I... I realize now that we all have different strengths and it's contributed to by many different uh, variables in our personalities and in our biology, including our sex. Um, And so I think we need to value each other's diversity better uh, on the wards and and seek to do equity well. Um, Mm. The challenge here is, I think, to to honor and help and respect colleagues with certain weaknesses uh, in certain areas, like showing more patience and support and kindness um, not getting angry with them and not um, uh, talking about them to other colleagues in, in, in a negative way, looking instead for ways to help them and looking to perhaps emphasise their strengths uh, as well. Mm, fantastic. No, that's that's really great. Thank you. Thanks so much, Rob. And thank you for being with us today. I appreciate your right. your time um, and uh, all the best with the rest of your, your training and in, in all the work that you're doing. It's just been a great pleasure to have you here on the podcast. You're welcome. Great, thank you. Well, I hope you've enjoyed that. Uh, I certainly have. um, And we look forward to being with you in a couple of weeks' time for another episode. (laughs) 